Welcome to this episode of the Fed and Goods podcast. I have Pooja Mehta, an, an independent journalist and former, former economics editor of The Hindu. Uh, Pooja has written an, an exceptional book called The Lost Decade, a book about how uh, India's growth story turned into growth without, uh, without a story. Uh, hi, Pooja. Great to have you on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my first question to you is that every time I, I talk to cousins and friends in India, they say, uh, there are no jobs. There are only two places you can get jobs. If you're well-educated and from a top college, you can go to finance. If you're good at computing, you, could go to, you would go to the, to the startup world and foreign tech companies. But outside of those, I mean, outside of the very small bubble I was talking to, they, there really aren't too many jobs in India. Where did this job crisis start from? Uh, well, that's a good question. This is uh, not a problem that has just suddenly descended on us. Um, it has been a problem that has been in the making for a long period of time. Uh, it, it, it has many structural reasons. Uh, many economists tell me a lot of the reasons have to do with taxation policies, with the kind of industries that get preferences for uh, uh, you know, when they raise uh, loans, et cetera. So there are a lot of sort of technical reasons for why um, most of the uh, jobs that get, I mean, very few jobs get created, uh, why most of India's industries uh, prefer to uh, be capital intensive, although we are a labor uh, abundant economy. And um, uh, you, you, you see this in the preference for government jobs. Uh, one of the main reasons why all of these incidents, such as the one I don't know if you heard and your uh, uh, listeners heard about it, you know, this recent incident that took place in Bihar, uh, where students were uh, wanting to get jobs, uh, railway jobs, and, you know, there was, some, there was a law and order situation. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you've heard of that. So what happens is that, you know, everybody wants a government job because there aren't enough private sector jobs. And um, we are not addressing this problem. Uh, uh, this problem is not getting addressed. Uh, uh, we want to rely on uh, startups to address this problem, but I think the only way this problem can get resolved is if uh, we have really large factories and which generates a lot of uh, incomes, which generates a lot of buying and consumption and therefore uh, demand for products of uh, slightly larger companies, uh, different kinds of industries, different kinds of products. And that's only when the country, the economy will start producing jobs uh, that um, young intelligent students such as yourself will aspire to. Um, so in short, yeah, that's it's a long-standing problem which is completely related to policy errors uh, and it is not getting addressed. Why are there no factories though? So let's, let's take the uh, simple case of somebody wanting to start any factory in India. Uh, is it just an industrialization problem? Is it uh, like what barriers exist for the, I think this is closely connected to the fact that India has had a falling share of manufacturing output for, for almost five, five or six years now. Uh, how do these problems relate to each, each other and what policy errors led to this? So what has happened is that, uh, okay, let's start with the basics. So as farms started getting mechanized, uh, requirement for labor on farms started reducing, then a lot of the people who used to earlier be underemployed, but at least there was some, you know, uh, something was tying them down to the villages and the farms, 
uh, those people had nothing to do because now, you know, there are tractors and there are all kinds of other machines that are used in farms. And so these people started looking for jobs and they started coming to the urban areas where the number of jobs produced remain, did not grow uh, at, at, a, at a pace commensurate with the flow of um, uh, people coming looking for those jobs. And that also includes the increase in population of the young share of the younger people. And there was a mismatch between number of jobs and number of people. And uh, uh, when that happens, uh, two things happen. One, uh, uh, labor uh, begins to get together because they, you know, they have they 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 have demands of managements, and managements don't want to give in to those demand those demands. So they want they don't want to hire people, and and they want to instead of hiring people, rely on more capital intensive style of production. And uh, they have uh, there is what is called the policy capture. They they have a they have a, an ability to influence policy making. Uh, so whether it is policies related to taxation, whether it is policies related to uh, how easily you can raise debt, all of those have a bias towards capital intensive uh, manufacturing rather than labor intensive manufacturing. And so factories begin to get more and more capital intensive and fewer and fewer jobs come out of new factories that are set up. So that's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is in any case, very few factories come up. Very few factories come up, why? Because few people, um, few people are in ability to buy their products. Uh, your policies are such, you don't encourage people to export their products. So how are they going to produce? They will only produce when there's a lot of demand what they're producing and, and when there are no incomes because there are no jobs and when you're not encouraging them you're not in, you're not letting them be competitive enough for them to compete in the global uh, economy they can't export so how are they going to then uh, sustain they're not viable so they're only viable if they produce less and less and then there isn't that much scope for a lot of factories therefore there are fewer factories so, so i've really oversimplified the whole thing a lot uh, you know but broadly this is what happened I don't know if uh, yeah no no yeah. I understand. Uh, if if the finance minister called you and said Pooja, um, what are the the top two or top three policies we could do to just ensure that uh, the capital intensive bias in uh, laws goes away? What's your answer to that? So uh, I I don't know if I can answer that question because you know I'm a I'm a journalist. I'm not a policy expert. But um, last I read about this and I wrote about this, the last I knew of this was that there were some tax breaks uh, on 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 uh, uh, you know if you if you bought certain kind of machinery then you have to pay lower tax. Uh, if 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 you instead if you hire people. You know, uh, uh, um, there's going to be a headache of unions. Uh, you're going to have to, uh, you know, uh, meet the. Uh, everybody wants to hire labor and meet labor standards. You no know, basic labor standards. You don't want to hire people and not be in a position to meet those labor standards. Uh, uh, I, what we hear is that also becomes a major disincentive. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, a very large global manufacturer of toys uh, was considering India as a, 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 a where to play to uh, set up their factory for their uh, Asian um, uh, production. You know, the big factory to supply to other Asian countries out of India, and uh, they were in talks with the government 
and uh, there were certain regulations that uh, require so this company has a policy that they decide to set up a factory in a different country than their own once they increase they're able to increase their exports to that factory to a certain level right because that tells them about the ability of that market to be able to absorb their product, their produce their 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 uh, products and uh, they were facing a challenge in exporting to india for simple things like uh, you know, there are some uh, very outdated, uh, these people were saying very outdated rules that require, because these are toys, Indian uh, uh, officials to go and inspect the factories where these toys are made. Uh, I found that a little difficult to believe when they told me about it, and they did send me the regulation. Uh, so I'm, so I'm, you know, so I'm guessing this is what the regulation is that, you know, a, an inspector from India has to go and visit, uh, you know, their factory. Uh, uh, so, so this is what they told me, and uh, you know, so this is just one small example. But there were many such regulations that 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 came in the way of their decision to set up this factory in India, and ultimately they have not set up that factory. I mean, they've decided not to set up that factory here. They are now uh, going to set up the factory in a, in a different economy. Uh, uh, usually, when somebody comes and tells me a story like this. Um, I, I take it with a pinch of salt because, you know, I'm only getting to hear one side of the version, one version of the story. It's possible that if I was to go and cross verify what they told me with people in government, I'll hear a different version of the story. And yet, uh, you know, it, they have not decided to set up that factory here. So there are going to be some reasons, right? So, so uh, I've not had an opportunity to cross verify their story, but obviously there are some pol uh, there are some uh, uh, policy barriers, you know, that that, that have not allowed that because of which they've decided not to set up that factory here. So, so the point is that India's attractive, uh, you know, there's there's a big market and all that, but India's difficult because of which. Um, uh, people don't set up factories here, and uh, so if I was, if the finance minister was to ask me, I would probably tell her that you know, uh, all of these companies that come and talk to your colleagues in different ministries, and then take decisions to not set up their factories here and go and set them set them up elsewhere. Please have a word with them and find out what tipped the decision in favor of the other destination rather than India. Uh, secondly, I think. Uh, um, the government has this new scheme of what they call the production linked incentives. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, yeah, it's under the scheme. Yeah, it's under one of it's under that scheme that uh, companies like Apple, their vendors are setting up uh, production bases in India. Uh, now, uh, the thing is that I mean, although a lot of experts and also what we learned in college, uh, you know, um, it's it's not good to be subsidizing these companies. But anyway, now that's the policy of the land. And, you know, uh, uh, but the thing is that, you know, these, these incentives that are given, fiscal incentives that are given to these companies are not linked to the number of jobs created uh, is what I hear. I haven't had opportunity again to read uh, this policy uh, as closely as I would have liked to, which is why I've not been, I've not written about it as yet. But uh, from what I hear and what I gather, uh, these these incentives are linked to whether or not they invest a certain amount in India. Uh, if, from what I understand, and uh, you know, I still have to verify this. If, from what I understand, it is so that they are not linked to number of jobs, then again, uh, you know, the whole narrative that we hear is that this policy is being designed for jobs. 
but then that final link between jobs and the policy is not there. Uh, so these companies can come and invest and they will again invest in capital intensive units and not create as many jobs as we need. So those are kind of policy errors that I'm talking about. Uh, but, you know, if you really want to get a better understanding of this, you know, uh, I would recommend that you speak with policy experts because I'm a journalist. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I know yeah. I have a very, very, yeah. yeah. A question I've always wondered is, by the by the measures of tax and spending, India's government is very small in a sense. It's only 78% of GDP of taxes, a little higher for spending. But the majority of economic journalism I see in India is not about uh private sector decisions, but a good percentage, far, far larger than proportional to the government's share of the economy, is about government tax and spending decisions, right? So if, so uh, what, what explains this? You're, you're very sharp, okay? Um, very few people catch this, you know? So that tells you all you need to know, right? That uh, uh, for all the noise that we hear about things having changed in 1991, that India has this big private sector, the government has receded supposedly from the economy and our everyday decisions of livelihood. Uh, how true could it possibly be if we have, if we focus so much for everything still on government policy? Uh, uh, I think that 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 clearly tells you that government policy uh, remains important because government has not fully withdrawn uh, from large part, la, uh, vast parts of the economy, and uh, policies are still. Uh, the one of the main factors uh, on the basis of which uh, economic decisions are taken by economic actors uh, in the private sector. And um, uh, the reason the tax to GDP ratio is talked about is because that tells you how much funds the government will have to spend. You're worried about how much funds the government will have to spend because private sector not spending uh, means uh, uh, you, uh, the expectation is that the government will spend and uh, uh, sort of ensure that there is a recovery in G uh, GDP and economy uh, after the pandemic, the shock of the pandemic. But that said, I also must add here that um, uh, uh, government spending-led recoveries is now what we are seeing even in the most advanced and most um, uh, most advanced economies of the world, such as the U.S., uh, where it is the government spending that has uh, led their recovery, although they have a much larger private sector. And uh, I, I'm not an ex I mean, I haven't looked at their numbers, uh, private sector versus uh, their, their government uh, sector outside of this uh, particular situation where government spending has gone up so, now, so much. But, but, but uh, uh, I'm sure that they, they, that economy is not like the Indian economy, where even in, the, uh, in normal circumstances, government spending and government consumption uh, does form part of the overall uh, economy. And uh, even in non-COVID years, we, we do look at the, that number when we uh, discuss the uh, state of the economy. Although it's small, but we, we do look at that. Speaking of which, um, the US and the EU and Singapore and lots of the world had a very large fiscal response to COVID, where they basically decided to replace all, re replace all the cash that, that, that was going to people temporarily in the first and second quarters of 2020 with government money. But in 2020, India's COVID response, India's COVID economic response was generally lending guarantees. And you know, you have a fabulous article in the mint, which I which I linked to in the show notes. Um how does how did this uh, show up in the balance sheets of uh, households, especially those in the informal sector? I, I, 
I, I, I don't think it must have been positive. What have you seen uh, after this? You mean government spending showing up in household balance sheets? The lack of stimulus, rather. The lack of stimulus. Yes, uh, so so all the emergency job protection, pay protection programs in the other countries, uh, you know, meant that people got checks, uh, you know, money directly in their accounts uh, from their governments. There was no such thing in India. Uh, the, the kind of uh, support and relief that the Indian government gave was um, mainly by way of food for very poor people. Uh, uh, you know, their, their quota of uh, ration food, the government uh, uh, PDS, the what is it called? Um, uh, uh, I don't know if your listeners know about it. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the food that uh, government of India uh, gives, subsidized food that government of India gives to uh, uh, poor people, uh, economically um, uh, and financially um, backward people, uh, challenged people. So uh, those quotas are increased. Uh, people got more food than they normally would from government. Uh, and very, very small amounts of cash, 500 rupees a month for about some three or four months were given into uh, women's accounts. Not everybody, so I didn't get it, but you know, a certain se section of, of, the, uh, of the population got it, very poor women got it. Uh, and like you said, uh, for certain types of companies, small companies, um, uh, they got uh, guarantees if they were to take loans, emergency loans from banks, then government was, was uh, you know, the, the, the one that would guarantee those loans should they default. But um, uh, so, so that's it, you know, so, so if my friend uh, or my colleague were to lose their job, uh, unlike in other countries, uh, uh, they wouldn't get any unemployment benefit or uh, wage protection check from the government. That 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 didn't happen. Uh, what did happen is that for certain class of people, uh, the government offered to pay a part of the. Um, uh, you know, uh, there is a provident fund uh, invest uh, sort of um, uh, part of the uh, pay package, you know, uh, that uh, so, so that some part of it, the government uh, said they would pay. Uh, but but uh, that's about it. You know, uh, they nobody got money in their hands. Uh, what you did get what even I got is that, you know, last year when we filed our income tax returns, uh, and for, 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 for most people, uh, there is a refund that becomes due depending on, you know, some ca ca uh, tax calculations, because uh, uh, although they initially deduct a TDS or tax before or, or a tax as soon as even before you get it in your hand when the salary or your payment comes. Uh, but if you make certain kind of investments, you know, that money becomes uh, refundable to you. Those refunds came within for some people within two days, even I got like within three or four days. So uh, that was my money that came, that was due to me. But you know, instead of waiting for a few months in the normal course, like how it happens, it came to me immediately. So those kind of things happened, but uh, that wasn't a net change in people's balance sheet. It was their money that came back to them. And the reason for uh, government of India not being in a position to do more um, or be like other governments is that uh, even in normal times, they are fiscally quite um, uh, stressed. So, uh, so they just simply could not afford to do it, and they they are like that because, like we said, they they're not able to tax as much. They're not able to tax as much because not people not many people in earn as much. So when incomes are low, tax collections are low, and therefore fiscal space is low.
Oh, that always reminds me of anecdotes in your in your book where you know ministers and bureaucrats were figuring out policy solutions, and you very uh, clearly connected it to real world data and implications. Um, what was the process of zooming in and zooming out like while writing the book? Um, I, 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 I don't know. It was, um, uh, in many ways, you know, it, it sort of brings together my job as a journalist, my, my writings and observations as a journalist for a long period of time. I may be writing something about today, but what informs my observation about what is happening today is what I have observed uh, over the course of my career for uh, 15 years or so. Uh, and uh, also everything that I have read, all the conversations that I have had with various people. And I guess, you know, that's, that's sort of what informs, you know, my writing in the book. That it, it seems like I'm writing about 10 years and it seems I'm writing about a particular inc incident in, uh, in the moment as of now, you know. Uh, but my, I'm coming to that, seen and observing it and uh, telling it to the reader uh, informed by uh, everything that I have written and reported and observed uh, and thought about uh, for a much longer period of time. Uh, so I guess it's that. And also I think the other thing is that as, as uh, you know, uh, uh, you were talking about Amit Verma's podcast, and uh, you know, as 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 he noted and said when he spoke to me about the book, which is that um, a lot of times, a lot of our uh, policy reporting and narrative misses out on very crucial human aspects, and um, uh, you know, uh, the fact is that you know, uh, when people take decisions, governments take decisions, which we, like we've discussed, influence the economy so much influence people's economic decisions so much they are human beings and uh, you know they're driven by things that normal human beings are driven by and a large part of decisions are taken not on the basis of what is the right decision to take right now but if i take this decision where will i be headed in my career you know if a finance minister wants to be a prime minister uh, a lot of his decision making and therefore all the implications for the economy flow from that ambition and desire, you know, to be, unfortunately, <laughs> to be, you know, prime minister uh, or whatever. I mean, that's just one very oversimplified example. There are many such considerations. Some people don't get along, you know, uh, they're not they're not on the same page. They don't understand each other. That influences decision making and therefore policy. And then they, these things have outsized implications and impact, you know, on our on our economy and our uh, economic decisions, uh, you know, down the line. So it's it's a it's a ripple effect, and it's not always driven by economic considerations. It's often driven by political considerations, electoral uh, calculations, uh, interpersonal relations between uh, people, and things like that. Uh, and yeah. as a journalist, you you know, as a journalist, you sometimes are in a position to observe these things, uh, uh, and sort of make a note of it at the back of your head. And then when you're writing, you know. Uh, uh, you're able to uh, view the whole uh, thing from, uh, you know, this is one of the sort of the, one of the angles that you're able to apply uh, when you're viewing the whole thing, where it fits. 
one of my uh, next question actually was going to be, uh, when you look at finance ministers across parties, across coalitions and time, it seems to me like their incentives are in some sense not aligned with the, with the, with the broader mandate of uh, economic growth. One, because the finance ministry is both an, an accounting ministry, it's, its job is to set the budget and simultaneously uh, make economic policy, which always which, which which inherently has a conflict but also because the nature of uh, politics and the and the incentives of the person in the finance minister seat make it that they don't always take the take the decisions that will benefit in the in the long run but have various other uh, other considerations what are the incentives facing the person in india's most important economic policy role i, I must say again you're way sharp you know to have observed this uh, I, I'll draw your attention to, um, uh, you know, writings and, uh, and lecture by Dr. Vijay Kelka. Uh, I don't know if you know him. He also has a very uh, good bo um, book that you may you may also yeah. want to speak to In him. In service of the republic, right? Yes. Amazing. Yes. 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 So, uh, you know, uh, so like he always says that, um, you know, uh, although planning commission, uh, you're aware of the planning commission. So the planning commission had sort of uh, outlived its use, but one of the functions that it did perform is that it was a sort of, a, a, you know, a provider of inputs or, uh, you know, counterparts and arg uh, counter arguments to the kind of things that happen in the finance ministry. So like you said, what happens in the finance ministry, there is a department of revenue, which all, all that they want to do is collect taxes. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, do disinvestment because, you know, that will also get them revenue. So somehow or the other, and like, for instance, there's this latest uh, uh, narrative in India about uh, the, the tax that they have just announced on, on, on income from cryptos, for instance. And a lot of people uh, uh, are very outraged about it because they think that, you know, how, if you're going to say it's illegal, how are you taxing it? But the point is, the fact is that, you know, the Income Tax Act in India says that whether income is legal or illegal, it is taxable. Whether you, when you tax an income, you do not differentiate between legal and illegal income. And that clearly tells you what their in incentive and intention is. They have to collect taxes. That's it, you know, howsoever they get it. Um, there is a department of expenditure where they have to spend. Uh, uh, they have to give money to other ministries for them to go to spend on their programs and they have to give money to the states depending on the finance commissions um, uh, I, I do you know finance commission they they they, yeah, they decide they, the, they of the, taxes the split of taxes yeah. yeah yes um so 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 the department of expenditure has to spend now clearly uh, 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 there, there, are, there is the department of economic affairs where a lot of this economic policy about what will happen if you spend too much, you know, what do you need to spend less? And those kind of decisions, you know, the fiscal deficit, those kind of decisions and uh, analysis sort of goes on over there. And all of these three departments are not, you know, always uh, the expenditure department will sometimes want to spend more. Or if they're told by the economic affairs department that no fiscal deficit is really growing too fast, you have to reduce, then they'll try and reduce, uh, you know, the, the allocations that they want to make unless the revenue department can increase the, the amount of money they're able to raise on behalf of government. And uh, so the finance minister has to balance all of these various things. And you know uh, that, that, that is their job. 
the states are coming to them and asking for money. Uh, uh, their their uh, prime ministers telling them that no, we need to address such and such problem. So you're right. There are a lot of sort of uh, um, sometimes conflicting objectives for the finance minister. And here, um, uh, you know, what the planning commission used to sometimes do, uh, as Dr. Kelka, you know, uh, talks about, is that you know sometimes they will come and tell you that you know, if you reduce this particular expenditure, uh, this is what the implication will be three years from now. Because, you know, the finance ministry lives, lives from budget to budget. They must meet their uh, object, their uh, target for spending or raising revenue or reducing the fiscal deficit uh, by the end of the year, because they have to present a budget, which will then be read by the entire uh, set of people and, you know, rating agencies, et cetera, out there who will come and tell them, oh, you didn't do this, oh, you didn't do that. Uh, uh, and sometimes they lose sight of, you know, what happens three years from now in the, in the economy. Uh, sometimes only, you know, it's a difficult job, and we we shouldn't shouldn't say that they don't sort of keep an eye on that at all. Uh, uh, obviously, they, they they have too many balls that they are juggling and keeping up in the air. But um, so the, so so finance, so you know, so that voice of the planning commission has gone missing. You know. Uh, they used to sometimes uh, give you inputs, analytical inputs about, you know, the the costs or implications of the various choices that that they were going to that that the, that are made in the finance ministry, and uh, so yeah, so so that particular thing has not been replaced. That source of inputs and analysis has not been replaced by anybody, any other institution, and and I think uh, so so that balancing factors gone but yeah so what are they so, so you were asking me what are the incentives and uh you know um so for instance if you look at this year's budget what is it that the finance minister needs to do uh what the finance minister needs to do is to ensure that you know the gdp recovery that that the slight recovery that we are seeing sustains uh all other decisions and choices uh, that have to be made will will be subordinated to this larger goal. Now, uh, sometimes there are multiple options to be chosen from for how to do this. You, you can go for option A or option B to meet this larger goal. And uh, it's difficult at this point in time to know which is going to be better. And therefore, you know, a choice has to be made. Um, sometimes it has, we haven't seen it in this budget, but sometimes uh, just 10 days from now, there is an election in Uttar Pradesh you know the 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 largest number of uh, uh, MPs in the in the Lok Sabha election next uh, in 2024 will come from Uttar Pradesh. So it's an important election, state election. Sometimes for some governments and uh, finance ministers, that will become an important consideration to take note of when preparing the budget, for instance. And something they will try to do something. Although your larger economic policy objective of uh, economic recovery uh, may sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to, but it may sometimes conflict with this objective, but they will try and meet these two supposedly conflicting objectives. Uh, and by the way, we did see something like this happen before the 2019 Lok Sabha election when uh, the government announced income support for farmers, for instance, farmers were in distress and an election was coming in uh, in the summer and in the February of 2019 in the budget, in the interim budget, uh, they did announce support for farmers. So, it, you know, so... So sometimes, you know, that is done. Sometimes it, 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 it is good for the overall economic um, policy uh, requirement uh, uh, task, uh, but sometimes it conflicts. 
so those are choices. And like, like in my book, uh, uh, if you know, Pranam Mukherjee went wrong on some of those choices. So those are the different, you know, incentives. And sometimes, um, like, like the chapter on Pranam Mukherjee explains that, uh, you know, um, a finance minister belongs to a certain ideology, and uh, uh, you know, it, 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 they just do what their ideology tells them. They're not able to get, come out of it. Um, although I must also say that um, uh, he was an odd one. We haven't seen too many finance ministers uh, who um, bring their own ideology. There is a certain way of doing things in, in finance ministry. We've seen certain continuity. Uh, there could be a difference of degrees, but we've seen certain continuity across finance ministers. But he was the really odd one out who sort of, you know, was uh, uh, not in tune with uh, the larger. Uh, sort of, I mean, uh, direction in which uh, finance minister after finance minister has worked uh, uh, in, in, in India. Um, so the next obvious question that uh, comes is, how much does personality matter in terms of finance ministers? As in every time, for so for RBI governors, they when there wasn't a monetary policy committee, it used to matter a lot because one person decided everything. But how much leverage does an individual finance minister have over, um, first of all, the finance ministry? Is it a yes minister-like situation where the bureaucrats get what they want? Or does the finance minister have leverage? And how much do the finance ministry's actions actually affect overall growth as compared to other ministries inside the government? It varies uh, from situation to situation, uh, depending on the combination of the finance minister, the prime minister, uh, the set of individuals who are the bureaucrats chosen to be in the finance ministry. So, for instance, uh, we used to have a joke about when Peter Dumbram was the finance minister. You know, we used to say uh, that he here's a finance minister who doesn't need a chief economic advisor because he, <laughs> he had one of the best economists as his chief economic advisor, but he just wouldn't listen. He, uh, he's not the sort of minister who would listen. Um, but on, on the other hand, uh, you had a prime minister like Manmohan Singh, a distinguished uh, economist himself, uh, but he would go, he would let Pranam Mukherjee uh, uh, take decisions completely unchecked uh, uh, and, and um, uh, his own personal ideology, the, the ideology I'm guessing he would have liked for his government to have, was completely at odds with Pranam Mukherjee's personal economic ideology, uh, ideological preferences, uh, but he did nothing to tell Pranam Mukherjee that, well, you may have your own ideas, but I'm your prime minister and I want you to do as I'm saying. He just, it just never comes to that point. And uh, so Pranam Mukherjee gets to make all decisions and um, uh, that, that becomes the main factor for uh, driving policy. Uh, in certain other uh, situations, we, there have been examples of how bureaucrats become, uh, you know, super powerful, uh, and they drive policy, and they're able to convince their uh, uh, ministers. Uh, Vijaykelka, actually, Dr. Vijaykelka is a good example of how he was able to, it's not there in my book as much, but uh, uh, I can't offhand uh, um, tell you which book to read, but uh, as a journalist, I've seen, uh, you know, and, and his own, uh, into, in his own interviews to me a couple of times, uh, he has um, talked about how uh, he was able to persuade Jaswan Singh, uh, you know, when he was a finance minister, 
to uh, to give up on a position that he had and you know go along with the position that dr vijay kilkar was trying to uh, you know tell him was the was the better policy so so it it just varies you know depending on who the individuals are uh, but the point the, the underlying i mean the basic fact is that uh, in the indian system uh, you know uh, our processes and systems and checks and balances are not that strong and therefore personalities whether it is the prime minister or it is the finance minister or the bureaucrats but you know personalities to a large extent uh, uh, you know have influence uh, over uh, choices that are made on uh, on economic policy it's not i mean it is it is i mean personality is a factor it's not like personality is not a factor and you yeah. talked about rbi i think that although they have a monetary policy committee but uh, they they a lot of the things that the rbi does is still you know uh, coming out of uh, uh, personality uh, sort of uh, related uh, factors um Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, you know it has we haven't necessarily been, become process driven completely even in in monetary policy uh, you talked to a, a lot of these people in robert caro's book on writing he talks about how he got people to he went to them 10 times 15 times even 30 times to to get the real story out of them how do you get people to talk about things and some of these they, they 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 might be embarrassed about it they just wouldn't want to talk about it. what's your interview process like one you know like i said uh, some of these people have that i have spoken to for my book have been in government for such a long period of time they were not always uh, you know in the positions uh uh you know uh, when when from where i quote them in the book you know they uh, like for instance dr arvind dharmani who was the chief economic advisor uh when in the manmohan singh government uh but uh, for many years before that he was in the planning commission uh, you know and uh, later on he was in the imf uh, uh and although so so uh, he's on record said a lot of things to me which i have quoted in the book Uh, but it's not like i that's the first time i went and i spoke to him and he's opened up about all of these things to me uh, i have had many conversations with him over many many years before this particular conversation and this particular conversation for the book was about i think 3 to 4 hour long conversation uh, you know uh, and he 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 trusted me with the information he trusted that the information will not be misused and so therefore he opened up and he gave me all all all, all the, that information but um uh, before this you know there there are many conversations that i have had so he trusts me you know he has a good good idea of how i will write uh, you know when i put out what he's telling me and therefore uh, he was not cagey when he spoke to me and similarly for uh, you know all of the other people quoted in the book there were few people in the book actually there's nobody i think i've quoted who spoke to me uh for the first time actually most of the people i've quoted in the book uh, i i've um, Uh, i i'd been having long conversations with them much before i even thought of writing a book so there's a trust uh, there is a record of my writing that they have seen over the years they know uh, you know uh, uh, how i write and how 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 i uh, sort of bring in information that they give me into my writing and then uh, so so you know 
that was it was not so difficult for me um a late a completely unrelated question a significant part of your book talks about how agricultural policy has has the wrong price signals for farmers and uh, last year the government repealed the farm laws what are these wrong incentives uh, uh sure yeah actually um i'd recommend that uh, anybody interested in this should read uh, this is what i had read when i was writing that part of the book that subsection uh, you know you should read um uh, this uh, it's there in my notes for the book also uh, there is there is a writing uh, paper by uh, i think if i'm not wrong ashok gulati siraj hussain and shweta uh but do check i could be wrong on the on 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 the authors uh, so what happens is that uh, you announce the government announces an msp for this year which is higher than let's say for this for for the same crop for last year so uh, how does uh, how does the and there is a market price simultaneously so when so the farmer has to decide at this point in time what they are going to sow in the field for the next year's crop right so they take a decision based on how much increase there is in the msp over last year and how much how it compares with the market price and the market price in turn is determined by how much they have harvested you know from what they had sown last year right so if 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 there is a glut in the market market price will go down and the increase that the ms in the msp that the government will have to announce in order to lift the price you know so that farmers don't make a loss will be higher now because the farmers going to think that next time i'm going to get even higher msp they will sow even more and if there isn't a there isn't a shock a weather shock or something they may even have an even bigger bumper harvest which will be a bigger glut because consumption is not growing that fast and we don't you know our export policies are not aligned very well uh, you know with domestic production and consumption and so you will not be able to immediately remove that excess production out of this market to our uh, international market and uh, therefore you will have a bigger glut and the market price will fall even further and therefore the government will announce an even higher increase in msps again you know i've really oversimplified what happens but broadly this is what happens and you are constantly sending the wrong signal to the farmer on what to grow you know they keep growing wheat they keep having bigger uh, gluts in the market the market price keeps falling and they have to keep increasing the msp uh, now you know somebody may go and look at the msps and say well you know what she's saying is wrong msps don't go up that much every year but i'm just you know very broadly explaining the concept you know how it happens how msp becomes yeah, no. a signal for what yeah. to grow and how much that was the only question itching in my mind as like oh no the time is getting over i have to ask this but um no thanks a lot thanks a lot for coming i i enjoyed it especially the part you talked about um conflicting incentives i i, I knew i'd vaguely but not fully my last question to you is um what did you want to write in the book but that but you that you couldn't for whatever reasons Well, that's a good question. I haven't actually thought about that at all. You know, the book was when it was uh, approved by the publisher was supposed to be only seventy thousand words. Uh, when I finally wrote it, it went up to one lakh nineteen thousand words. And finally, uh, I didn't like some parts of it because I thought I was just I had just written everything that was coming to my mind. So I reduced it to ninety thousand words. 
so maybe there is some stuff that I want to remove from the book because I'm just meandering, I think, in some places and talking about stuff which is not all that interesting and relevant to what I want to say. So I know what I want to remove from the book, but do I want to add something and I couldn't? Um, actually, no, I, I think I pretty much got to write everything that I wanted to write. Uh, I must. You're uh, the first uh, author who's, who's who's told me that actually, because <laughs> everyone else says, "Oh, I had so much to write," but no, that's that that's that's a great. What did you want to remove, though? Uh, you know, I thought uh, I don't know how you feel as a reader about it. I thought that you know there were parts. Actually, let me first ask you answer your first question. I wish I I had succeeded in finding out more about demonetization and what really happened, the the true story of demonetization. I did try to find out, but I couldn't. I failed. Uh, so yeah, I wish I could have. That is something I I would have liked to write, and I couldn't simply because I didn't get any authentic information. Or info, I mean, I did get information that is authentic, but I I I uh, um, I wasn't permitted to write about uh, some things. But not that it was the whole story. It was still just like you know very fragmented, uh, and, and I still wouldn't have succeeded in putting out the full picture. But yeah, there was little bit I had which uh, I couldn't write. But I wish I had found found out more. I tried, but I failed. Uh, but yeah, what what I would have liked to remove, what I would like to remove, um, uh, I I would like to edit out or make more sharper the section on I thought Niti Aayog. I now when I look at it as a reader, I feel I just go on and on about it. Uh, I, it's not that interesting. I don't know what you think as a reader. No, it's actually, too long. Actually, no. I think I I didn't find the book very long. I actually read in like in like two days, and I gave it back to the library. So, no, I I. But that's probably just just me. So I I I I'm not very representative of the average reader. Yeah, because <laughs> um, I, I, a lot of people tell me it takes very long to read the book, and I mean uh, I fully get that. It is a heavy read. It's not something uh, you know. It's not a page turner. It is a page turner. Don't don't let the <laughs> don't let the negative sentiments get to you. I I read with like full interest, and I I spent like two days doing it. I said, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> you're kind. You're kind. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It was great fun talking Thank to you. you. Yeah, I enjoyed this conversation so much, and I I really have to tell you that you're very for your age, you're very sharp. Those questions and observations were <laughs> very very sharp. And I hope I answered at least some bit of your uh, queries, uh, you know, uh, and, and I want to just say again that I think I really oversimplified things a lot. Uh, uh, I, I hope your your listeners will find some use in it still. Oh, yeah, I think I will, they will. All the, all the India episodes do well. So. <laughs> so, yeah. We are a large country. <laughs> <laughs>